Welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. Thank you for the rocket ship emoji, whoever did that. I'm not sure I've ever seen one of those. There's another one. There's a sky full of rocket ships. Uh, yes, Jesse Single, author, podcaster. Um, I have a newsletter, jessesingle.substack.com. Check out my podcast with Katie Herzog at blockchainreported.org. Uh, a lot of good stuff going on. Uh, I'll get to the queue in a minute. I'll get to Oscar. Anyone else with questions or comments uh, should jump in the queue. Don't have a huge amount of stuff to say beforehand. I really enjoyed this is random, but the latest episode of Radio Lab is called Infinities, and I found it to be a real palate cleanser because there's been a real tendency, um, and I'm sort of stealing this idea a little bit from Alice Gribbin, who I once had. She's a critic I once had on the show. There's been a real tendency to sort of demand that art bring with it straightforward moral messages or you might say moral posturing, uh, and I think it's led to a lot of very dumb art and even dumber criticism. So this uh, episode of Radio Lab Infinities, I, I don't want to give away too much, but it really provided a nuanced um, look at what it would ha be like to have mental illness, and in a way that just didn't really fit into. I mean, uh, Freddie DeBoer is really good on this. You know, he talks about how disability and mental illness are being sort of colonized by folks who have very specific ideas about how it should be presented and how it shouldn't be presented. Um, I think this just did a really good job grappling with the complexity, including the fact that people with severe and untreated mental illness are often difficult to be around and no amount of using the right words or destigmatizing can really change that fact because it's just sort of one of the many unfortunate realities about that. So yeah, I listened to that. I read that back to back with um, Richard Brody's New Yorker review of, Nathan, of the new Nathan Fielder show rehearsal, which is just completely brilliant. But of course, Brody focuses on the fact that he thinks, um, you know, Nathan Fielder is sort of taking advantage of, of his subjects and not really giving them a voice. And I just want to be really oversimplified gloss on a, a truly great show. So, um, Anyway, other folks should jump in the queue. I'll just take Oscar to get us going. Oscar, how's hey. it going? Hey. Can you hear me? Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the Brody thing. I actually watched the Felder show because of, I heard about it on your uh, podcast on this call-in, and I thought it was hilarious. And the Brody yeah. review was even funnier. And at the end, he says something like, oh, if this is comedy. And it's like, how did you watch this? And possibly <laughs> think it wasn't. <laughs> I know. He also, he says very early on that, like, um, this will this will go over the heads of folks who haven't watched it. You should watch it, so I'll be brief. But he says like basically that like Nathan Fielder has a huge amount of faith in his ability to control everything through rehearsal when like I think in the first episode he pretty straightforwardly is like, You can't plan for everything. I just I wasn't convinced he watched the show that closely or without preconceptions about it. Anyway, uh well, go ahead, Austin. The whole thing is completely it's just absurdist. Like you can't like you failed on arrival if you're a critic and you're like interpreting yeah. it the way he is. But anyway, whatever. That's actually not what I was gonna Well say. I, I, I one time I wrote about his review of Jojo Rabbit, which I just found it was honestly like he'd watched another film. So anyway, he's he's an interesting phenomenon, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. Um I guess the thing I was thing gonna ask you about is um so this is, you know, thing, uh, it's obviously, you know, your favorite issue, the, the one that kind of got you onto Boston reported. Um, but, you know, there's this Boston Children's Hospital thing going around. Um, you know, uh, they've got some videos about some treatments. And like, you know, whenever you ask about this issue, I feel uh, feel obliged to throw clear, like, you know, a lot of empathy for people who are suffering from 
you know, gender dysphoria or some feelings that, you know, I, I don't think I, you don't want to stigmatize them, but like yeah. some of the, tr but the, the real villains here seem to be the doctors. Um, and I just can't, I can't watch these, I can't watch these videos of, you know, talking about a gender affirming hysterectomy and think like, this is going to end well. I, I, you know, it just, it just seems really crazy. And like, you have to sort of like educate yourself out of just thinking simply about what's going on here. Cause it's quite strange. Yeah, I, I I don't have very complete thoughts on it because I'm, I'm nowhere near as much of an expert as you. I'm just like a random guy who's interested in this stuff. But I just like I just found it really bizarre to watch and like kind of hard to watch too. Yeah, so I think I just saw still images from it, or maybe there was still advertising with it. This is Boston Children's Hospital advertising its um its gender services, in, including things like hormones and surgery. Um, I, I, my main concern is like it seems like there's been a shift from um, I'm just going to mute you for a sec because there's uh, or if you just want to mute Sorry. yourself there's some background noise yeah, and then my, you can my. unmute. Um, there's been like if you read the initial research on on puberty blockers and hormones by the Dutch clinicians it really was like we think these treatments will help but we're going to diagnose the shit out of kids first and really make sure that they will be helped by this and that they're the right kids for this. Um, it was not taken lightly. There's been a sort of turn, at least in the States, toward a very flippant, flippant approach to this where you just like, yeah, this is a, a medical procedure you could have done. It'll help you out, which I don't know. I mean, I, I guess that's okay in some cases. I, I don't know where the balance should be. What's even more disturbing is there are now <clears throat> gender clinicians who advertise directly to minors on TikTok. Uh, one of whom is this like Florida surgeon who does double mastectomies and just tries to use this like you speak. She says she will yeet their teats. She just like straightforwardly advertises to kids. There's another gender clinician in Connecticut, AJ Eckert, who is treated as an authority on this and like pretty straightforwardly gives uh, teenagers who she's never talked to and preteens like advice on how to skirt their parents and to potentially delay puberty without their parents knowing. It's just really the ethical issues of advertising directly to kids or giving kids medical advice without knowing the specifics of like even how long they've had gender dysphoria, whether they qualify under the DSM criteria. I, I just think there's a lot of sloppiness here. So Maybe the reason the the Boston Children's thing didn't surprise me that much is just I, I've seen much worse from um, sort of the, these real vanguard clinicians. Yeah, that's fair. I just think it's like it's it's like pretty shocking, you know, when you when you see someone talking about it totally in earnest. Um, I, it's just and, weird. There's yeah, shit like it. It would be surprising if there's that many kids <laughs> who like are on for bottom surgery. It's always been not a lot of people who have such severe dysphoria. They need these treatments, but I, it certainly seems to be on the upswing. Uh, fair. Thanks for the answer. And, you know, obviously uh, I know it's a sensitive issue and like folks suffering, so I don't want to treat it lightly. Yeah. No, it's good. Uh, good call, Oscar. Ben, what is up? <clears throat> hey, Jesse. Hey. Um, I have a question about something that I'm not sure if, if I've heard you talk about it before, but um, a, a bit off topic here. But I was, um, I think you've mentioned in the past that you're vegetarian. Is yeah. that right? Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I was wondering um, just what your general thoughts are on the issue of animal welfare and the ethics of um, sort of modern um, industrial agriculture, I guess, when it comes to animals specifically. And uh, uh, maybe a 
second question to that would be why there seems to be no political side that really has um um, I guess a take on this. I, it's surprisingly apolitical in my experience. Um, so I was wondering if you just had any thoughts on that in general. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. I One of my thoughts is just that I'm a little bit of a hypocrite because I consume plenty of dairy. I eat eggs constantly. They're produced under very bad circumstances. But um, I basically became a vegetarian because I was dating someone who, and she recommended eating animals by Jonathan Safran Foer. And I found it very compelling. And I think factory farms just like produce a horrific amount of suffering. Like however much you want to weigh animals versus humans, obviously I don't think they are, they're not humans. Cows are not people. They have fewer rights. I don't value their lives as much, but I, I think their suffering is real. And I just think, I don't know. I, I understand there's like a case to be made for economies of scale and factory farms is like really horrific and that a more morally enlightened society would, would maybe demand something better. So I, you know, to the extent that I can opt out of some of that, I try to do so. That's part of my argument for why I don't eat meat. Um, there's also some like scary mad cow disease stuff back in the day that surely influenced me, but that's, that's not a, a major concern. Um, I, I mostly, I just haven't found it that difficult to be a vegetarian. Cause I, I never ate that much red meat. I'll like, I'll occasionally miss a hamburger, but I don't know. Alternatives are getting better all the time. Uh, the political thing I've, I've always associated vegetarianism and veganism with the left, but I don't think either vegetarianism or animal rights have play any major role in American politics at the moment. Right. That's kind of my, <clears throat> my observation with it. I've definitely met more, um, out of people who I know that are vegan. I, I, I would say that most of them are probably liberal, but yeah. I find that most of them, I guess I would say the most outspoken, like kind of, I don't know. I hate the word, but the woke progressive side. Yeah. To me, the, you know, talking to someone about the trans issue is pretty much identical to talking to someone about veganism who isn't vegan. Right. It's, it's yeah. pretty much the same type of conversation where it's like, I'm just going to plug my ears and, and, you know, sort of use, tactics that will work for me to just not have this conversation <laughs> right you know so so it's interesting to me how like it seems like in some ways it's almost it's almost fitting that i don't see um i guess i wouldn't expect to see a high number of vegans on the right i don't but i don't really know that many people on the right in general so um it's it's not it's not it's not surprising to me that there aren't more on the left given the kind of consistency of um, argumentation, I guess, in in a lot of left circles. Yeah. I mean, I also think there, there's some interesting strains of, like, you know, conservatarian thought and that whole culture of, like, ranching and hunting and stuff that I've had no exposure to. I, mm -hmm. you know, the, in Jonathan Safran Foer's book makes the point of, like, meat eating is different if, if an animal has had a good life and, like, a quick and painless death. He thinks the morals are different, and I agree. I also think it's a little bit different if you, like, hunt your own food and if you do your best to reduce the suffering. So I think um, it's not a clean left-right issue because I think a yeah, lot of the people definitely. who have more exposure to, like, how meat is produced or who have, 
killed their own meat are, are probably more likely to be conservatives. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think I have a lot more, just personally, I think I have a lot more respect for people who are connected to it, regardless of what decisions they make. Yeah. I think that the problem that, that you alluded to of, of the gender, the, uh, um, the issues of suffering and the, the volume of suffering in factory farms, I think the issue I have is that people are offloading the burden of that suffering where normally when you kill an animal and eat it, you have to witness its death and you have to witness it, you know, uh, that whole process. Yeah. But, um, yeah, well, that's one of the, you no, know, that's exactly right. That's like one yeah, of the horrors yeah. of this is it's all occurring. You know, if you live in a city 50 miles away in a facility, you'll, you'll never see and would be horrified if you did see it. Yeah, exactly. There was yeah, a, there was a story once of a woman. Um, I forget where it was. <laughs> It was like a local news story where a woman found a claw in the in the chicken breast she bought at the supermarket and was freaked out. And I remember I don't usually become I'm not usually a self righteous vegetarian, but in this case I was like, "Where the fuck do you think the chicken breast came from? You're surprised that I yeah. you're, it well, sanitized? Yeah, they want just like just the chicken breast, not the chicken in front of them." Right. Yeah. Any reminder that it's coming from a from a living being is 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 bad news for if you're trying to avoid that that's any any reminder that it's coming from there is 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 not going to be good for you and i think that's why people actively avoid content that involves like i think if anybody saw a video of a, of a calf being pulled away from its mother i think most people would be affected by it which is why and, and i think people know that so that's kind of why they avoid it um just like they avoid, you know, wanting to know really what what it is that they're eating. So it's interesting. It's it's kind of a yeah. uh, uh, an issue that I feel like is is only picking up steam, but seems to be existing outside of the political sphere, which I actually like because yeah, it's not. It doesn't seem to be affected by any of the culture war polarization, and uh, for the most part, like everyone hates vegans. So it's kind of cool, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I, yeah. I I agree that it's um, become less of a political issue. I mean, the, one other is – I think I have more thoughts on this than I thought I did. Like in the aughts, you had uh, – when was Consider the Lobster published? Let me just check on that. Um, yeah, in the aughts, you had Consider the Lobster. You had Jonathan Saffron Fowler's book. Maybe it was more political than – but the other thing is maybe the reason it's less political is it's just now assumed that even – a random small town will probably have some place you can get a vegetarian or a vegan. There's just a market, like capitalism just sort of solved the problem. It's like, yes, yeah. there's demand for this. So we need to have it everywhere I, now, yeah. which is good. Totally. Yeah. I've had just to uh, tag this at the end. I, I've had some interesting conversations with, with, um, you know, other, other vegan, I'm vegan myself. Uh, if that wasn't obvious, <laughs> yeah. but other people in my life who are that, are anti-capitalist and I've had a lot of interesting conversations with them about like how that's not necessarily always um, those two, you know, like you kind of have to have a degree of free market in this specific issue because people uh, like with, you know, Tyson, the, the, I think the biggest um, chicken chicken manufacturer um, in the, in the, in the world, they have, come out and said like the ceo has said we're not like in the business of killing chickens we're in the business of providing protein to people and 
We're not like I don't believe that McDonald's hates cows. Just yeah. as I don't believe that people who buy McDonald's burgers hate cows. I just think it's it's an economic driven cruelty. Yeah, it's convenience way. and moral blindness. It's not yeah. it's not people choosing to inflict suffering. Yeah. Uh, so I think that gives me hope about it, for sure. Yeah, I I, I really hope. Um, I'm excited for lab grown meat. You know, because I became a vegetarian in my 20s. I it's not like I lost the taste for it. So I hope that becomes economically viable soon. I think Beyond and Impossible Burgers. Are, I mean, I'll, I'll ten years ago I never would have gone to Burger King for any reason, but I'll occasionally get like an Impossible mm-hmm. Whopper because it's legit good. So I think, yep, yeah. I think that all the it's been good. The consumer side of this has been good, but uh, yeah. Anyway, thank you, Ben. That was a good call. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Scott, what is up? Hey, Jesse. How's it going? Good. How are you? Doing well. Um, First, I just kind of wanted to go tangential to what the last caller was talking about. Do you know – did you ever watch – You're coming in a little loud. Can you either turn the mic down or just move away from the mic a little? Yeah. Is that any better? Yeah, it's a little better. Thanks. Okay. Um, sorry. Uh, did you ever watch a show on Netflix called The G Word with Adam Conover? No, I'm familiar with him. Oh, The G Word's about government. I, I'm familiar with him from Adam Ruins Everything, I think. Or I, which I haven't right, seen. Right. I Same had, and just from Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it, it's it's uh, the first episode is about food, and so they go into the FDA and and. Um, food inspectors and go into one of these, you know, I forget what they're called, but they're, they're basically, you know, the, the killing fields for, for cattle. Um, and the person that I was watching with was so affected by it, like couldn't watch any further episodes about the more mundane parts of government, but like they didn't even show the killing. It was just, uh, you know, showing carcasses being carved up and all this. Is it? Is this someone who eats meat? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that. Yeah, that's where I get a little. Again, I'm because I'm such a hypocrite and I harm the planet in other ways. It's hard for me to get on my high horse about that. But it's like, if you eat meat and can't take that imagery, that should tell you something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. I yeah, I'm a hypocrite. I I eat meat, um, but I I. Why you know I can watch a video of that and and accept feeling crappy about it you know um, but I also want to become a vegetarian I'm I'm envious of people who who have that commitment um, but my Join question us. there's more more good veggie burgers than ever before I can I recommend oh yeah the impossible stuff is getting crazy um my my question was actually kind of because uh, you were talking about TV earlier. Yeah. Um, did you see any of the headlines about the guy that the showrunner for the terminal list talking about how critics didn't like his show because he didn't cram woke shit in into, into it? I'm not familiar with this, but that would not surprise me given a lot of the criticism I've read lately. Yeah. I was just thinking about how, uh, I was just thinking about how, like, his, his, well, well, first of all, about that and the other show, Yellowstone, that apparently, like, I've, I haven't seen any of these shows, not interested in either of these shows, but they're, they're both very popular. 
And I think it's just due to cultural differences. Like, I don't think it's due to necessarily woke or anti-woke shit being injected into um, media. I think it's yeah. just appealing to a different audience. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's, there's, we're in this sort of golden age of, well, we're probably past the true golden age of, age of prestige TV, but a lot of the biggest, most successful shows don't really have ham-fisted political messaging. It's just good storytelling. But I think what he's talking about is like where they will add a queer character at, at like kind of make a point of of being uh, Yeah, inclusive. well, this, so this is endemic in podcasting. Like every podcast I listen to now, there's an ad for a a new series and I want to be careful in how I describe this, but it'll be a series like um, here's a series about black female scientists, which I bet there's not a market for that. I bet if you told the story of an individual black female scientist who has an interesting story, I think a lot of people who produce content overestimate how interested people are in like superficial approaches to identity stuff. And I think it's creating a glut of subpar content that isn't going to do well. And I actually know someone who I know has access to some of the numbers that Spotify gave me a couple examples of Spotify shows along that line, just falling flat. But I do think they will always get critical of, um, from a certain type of mostly younger critic. Yeah, fair enough. I think that that's about all I have. Thanks, Scott. Lemon party. Yep. What's what up? <clears throat> Am I on? I can. Yep. Welcome. Very good. Um, yeah. Uh, just came back from a comic convention, so just went and saw you uh, talking. Uh, regarding the uh, meets thing, yeah, I can kind of relate to what uh, the prior two callers were saying. Uh, it is kind of uncomfortable when you see some of those videos. Even uh, I mean, I remember when I was in, uh, at a restaurant and ordered a f- some fish. I thought it was going to come off with, without the head. Uh, it did not, and. I, <laughs> I was able to eventually get through it, though I had to have them just take the fish off. I was in Poland, so I think it was, it's, maybe that just shows cultural norms in America versus Europe. I feel like that's, that's also a thing in a lot of maybe Central and South American, well, coastal South American restaurants, or restaurants from, sorry, restaurants with cuisines from that part of the world. Like the whole, the fried whole fish is like a mark of authenticity. This is like real fish that you're, I think some people actually like that. Yeah, I remember when my parents were dating. My uh, parents, uh, uh, mom told me the story of it when my dad ordered a whole fish. He was just like shocked about that. He even just told her and said, talked to the fish. Well, thank you. You're delicious, Mr. Fish. Why? Thank you very much. (laughs) Right. Anyways, but yeah, uh, I do agree. It's probably more ethical, relatively speaking, that meat eaters should be able to at least see where the meat comes from. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I kind of, since I grew up on like, those edgy websites in the late 2000s and early 2010s, I've kind of seen the where pork products, where cow products come from, and the point where they do the act itself. So yeah, I have a tolerance for it, but also I have a tolerance for horror movies. So that's not I'm not sure if that's a good state for for character. <laughs> anyways, <laughs> um, yeah. Anyways, uh, so obviously we know what happened yesterday. Uh, we're hoping he makes a strong recovery. I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on the Rushdie situ- uh, attempt we'll have on internet dialogue? I mean, obviously, 
pro-free speech advocates have been universally condemning the act and explicitly stating that words are not violence. But I'm thinking about like those more woke crowds that were very, you know, I'm talking about like very upset about like very critical of words sometimes being harmful or insensitive. I'm not saying they would endorse this. I was just curious if you think that will have any kind of impact on dialogue of why it's probably not a good idea to conflate words or offense with harm and violence. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because people immediately started pointing out that J.K. Rowley has gotten a lot of death threats, which she has. I I don't think she's actually in the level of danger Rushdie has been for years. I, I mean, I think Great. the the thread here is exaggerated claims of harm. Your words are harming me. Your book is harming me. The fact of the matter is that, like, if you're Muslim, you can ignore Salman Rushdie's novel if you're offended by it. I don't even I don't even know if like to what extent this was. I know so little of the backstory of like how, why the fatwa came to be and if if there's even a case to be made that it like was offensive in a given reading of Islam. But it, it's the same thing with like J.K. Rowling. This idea that you you were harmed because she disagrees with like um, an attempt to reform the Gender Recognition Act. I, just in terms of seeing some of this shit people say about me on Twitter, some of which edges into like really violent rhetoric, although not as much as obviously nowhere near as much as either of those two. I just feel like if you don't tamp down on that, if you just let things escalate and escalate and escalate, always in the name of supposedly protecting oppressed people, like at some point a crazy person is going to go do some shit and, and you will have been partly responsible for creating a climate where it's totally normal to say like, yeah, pa- uh, Punch a turf, kill J.K. Rowling. So, you know, the Rushdie thing is different and worse. Like, no one's been as targeted as as he has in in recent memory. But it's, um, I think there are some similarities there. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like in 2020 when the the Harper's letter came out. And I'm just remembering some of the people saying that nobody on the list has been harmed. I think it was Parker Malloy or something. And and then people immediately pointed out it was uh, Salman Rushdie's history. Yeah. I think she then tried to like back. She said no one had been censored, which was amazing. Yeah, yeah. It, I'm just thinking. In bit, it does. There was also some a spat between uh, Michael Hobbs and uh, Kathy Young because Kathy Young said, "I wonder how he's going to make." It was a, a snarky response saying, "How is he going uh, to respond about cat freedom of speech or uh, cult consequences culture, something like that?" Yeah. It was very kind of bitter, but it was also I'm not sure how I felt about that to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see the exact. Um, I just, I just think Cobb's his Twitter presence is ridiculous. So yeah, I don't know. It just it does. It is fair to is it fair for me to point out some of the parallels between hyperbole, uh, like around let's say Chappelle or off color jokes, and conflating it to real world violence or harm. Is it fair to like say that that's not a good idea? I wasn't sure. No, I, I mean, I, I think no one should draw a direct comparison between what Rusty went through and, and someone like Rowling, but I do think the the parallel is exaggerated claims of harm and the idea that because someone wrote something you disagree with or are offended by, this is a terrible thing that has to be – like Agreed. a bunch of people could have – you could just – Rowling wrote an essay that and did some tweets people disagreed with. You can point out why you think she's wrong. You can write a rebuttal. Yeah. These These – 
attempts to sort of carpet bomb people's reputations, often for expressing opinions most people agree with, I, I think are bad. So yes, I would not draw a direct comparison, but I, I think they I are think in the same universe. Yeah, I would just say hyperbole is bad. It, while it's not the same as in uh, the Rushdie case, they do have some uncomfortable parallels. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, I, I right. think there's something to be said for that. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, I'll let you enjoy the rest of your day. Hopefully, it's sunny and decent weather where you are. So yeah, it's cool. It's cloudy, but it's cool, which is merciful because it's been very hot. So, uh, so uh, yeah, let's right back at you. Right. All right. Yeah. Have a good one. Cheers. Thanks, Shauna. What is up? Sorry, they added a new button to unmute yourself. Um, hello, good afternoon. Um, hey. I, first, I wanted to apologize. I did something very, I realized I should feel embarrassed and ashamed, so I need to do it in a public forum. Um, a long time ago, when you were doing your big road trip down, I think to Louisiana and Austin, yep. and I had I'd actually messaged you enlisted, because I'm from Texas originally, like, oh, if you're in Austin, you got to have this chicken fried steak, and then this place has the best barbecue. But very offensive. Place. Yeah, and I am so like I am genuinely uh, like blushing. I did not mean to like be a jerk. I didn't realize at the time you were vegetarian. So it's total, totally totally No way you would have known. I had plenty of delicious queso and breakfast tacos. Yes, queso is good. I yep. support that obviously, but um, not to make this like a you know cookinglight.com episode. Um, but I wanted to give a, a different perspective because I really appreciated Ben's question and where he was coming from as a vegan. And I, I struggled with this myself because for a while I was vegetarian or like a really bad sloppy vegetarian, I guess. Um, but to add a different perspective, I'm one of those weird people that I started eating more meat and I'm, I do try to be very conscious about um, uh, only because I live in a rural area, um, like sustainable buying from the farmer's market. M my neighbors have cows, like they slaughter them, all that and trying to teach my own kids. But I will say there are people like myself who started eating meat or increasing protein because of being anemic or like needing to lose weight and that sort of thing where we found that adding meat actually helped improve. Um, like for myself, it just improved my own diet. So, um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of like legitimate reasons to eat meat uh, nutritionally, especially, you know, you need iron and so forth. Um, yeah. I, I think situations like that are just, I don't know. I forgot to mention that I, I, I was turned on to a couple seasons of the, uh, show alone on netflix you know it's just this, this really pared down reality show where they drop people survival experts in the woods and whoever can last the longest uh wins and because i'm in a feet northeastern blue state liberal i knew so little about all the survival stuff and just watching the way they deal with things like hunting i don't know it, it gave me a much different perspective on it and a lot of respect for certain cultures i don't understand at all yeah, and I think, I mean, y'all nailed it uh, as far as it's being, choosing to remove yourself from the process, and then therefore it just magically shows up on your plate, and you have no idea nor concern of the elements that went into making the food, and it's just, it shows up, and, and so I even worry on the other side of that as you make the impossible meats more accessible and more restaurants picking that up on one hand that's great but uh, 
being from my own perspective and looking at like the nutritional facts of the impossible burger i mean they're not great and they're really bad no an uh, impossible burger is not like especially with all the same fixings is not much better for you than a real burger i don't think i think you're just it's, i think you're it's like you're flooding your body with salt uh soy mm-hmm. instead of like uh, yeah it's no it's not it's like a once in a while thing to eat in much the same way a burger is a once in a while thing Right, exactly. So I just, um, but I, I appreciated Ben's perspective and your own, and uh, I'll be sure to forward on more barbecue recipes <laughs> to you. So that's all I got for today. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Shadam. That reminds me of a place I went in D.C. Um, I wish I could remember the name. It was Vegan Barbecue, which I was so skeptical of, but it was one of those places that has like really mastered vegan chicken and beef uh usually places like that i find are asian uh luann's wild ginger in new york is another one of those where it's just like you can't tell you can't really tell you're not eating chicken or beef it's like that good but um wish i could remember the name of this dc place anyway very good conversation today much more stuff about food and vegetarianism than i'd expected that's the beauty of this platform it can go any direction you people yank it uh so thank you for listening as always, I would just ask if you enjoy what I'm doing here, tell other people about it. Uh, tell other people about my podcast, newsletter, blah, blah, blah. Tell them about veggie burgers. Tell them about meat. And uh, encourage your friends to buy a cow or a calf, raise it to adulthood, give it a good life, and then murder it in their suburban backyard. See what happens. See how good the meat tastes. Uh, that is it for me. I hope the rest of you – I hope you guys have a good weekend. Farewell.